All right, let's open to Colossians chapter 3. We got to fly. Colossians chapter 3. It's just 7.45, that's all. Um, let me pray for us real quick before we get started here. Father, thank you for tonight. Uh, Lord, it's been such a fun night, and we're thankful to be here, thankful to play a fun game like that, uh, Lord, but also knowing that we're here mainly to to turn our attention back to you, Father. Help us to really just kind of remove those distractions. Help us to listen. Help us to think about your word tonight as it applies to our lives. God, I ask that you would be honored tonight with all that's done and said. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Watch where you're going. I feel like that's a phrase that parents, I mean, have been saying since the Garden of Eden. Like, parents have just been saying that to their kids over and over and over. Watch where you're going. Pay attention to where you're headed. When we don't watch where we're going, like this clown, bad things happen. Uh, just two days ago in the Lennington family, out for a bike ride, and my youngest son, just for a split second, stopped watch, watching where he was going, turned around, and when he came back to, instead of road, it was fence. And this is what happens when you try to bike into a fence. You break your hand. So that's what I did Monday. It was awesome, but he got a Dodger Blue cast all as well. All is well. Watch where you're going. Stay focused. This is a lesson that we're supposed to learn from an early age. A lesson that seems like we still have a little bit of learning to do. I queued up just a short video, a few clips that I just want to share with you about what happens when we don't watch where we're going. Go. Yeah. Okay, go. <laughs> Predictable. Oh, right into the van. Every teenager in the world. Oh, hold your, he, rub your forehead and your nose. This one's not, this one's just scary. Everything works out. Don't worry. Everything's fine. He stopped. The guy doesn't get hit. Kind of boring. The next one, though, gets even better. Love it. Whoops. And elevator going up. No, in your face. Just out for a stroll. Wall. Love it. All right, kill it. Kill it. Stop. No, I know. I know. We played too much game. That goes on for four minutes. It's awesome. You should find it. It's so funny. All of those are hilarious. Listen, when we don't pay attention, when we don't watch where we're going, we don't just risk embarrassment, looking dumb, falling into a pool, or getting a cast. There's more. When we're not focused on where we're going, the results can be much, much worse. I got stats on stats on stats of people who lost their lives because they weren't watching where they were going, but that's not really what I want to talk about tonight. It's, it's true for our physical lives when we don't pay attention, when we don't watch where we're going, that it's dangerous, that it's disastrous, that it's even deadly. 
But just as that's true for our physical lives, it's equally true for our spiritual lives. We have to watch where we're, we're going. Christians tend to let their eyes and their focus kind of drift away from where they're actually headed. Believers don't set their minds on Christ enough. They don't keep their thoughts fixed on Jesus as much as they should, on eternity, on things that truly matter. If you're a believer, you should ask yourself, what is it that I'm fixed on? What is it that fills my mind? Or ask it this way, am I watching where I'm going? If I'm headed towards heaven and eternity, am I mindful enough of that? Am I watching where I'm going? Focused on things that truly matter. Our big idea tonight is this. Believers should watch where they're going. Christians should pay attention to where they're going, keeping their focus on Christ. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 3. God's word says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Tonight, I want to emphasize to you how amazing God's word actually is. Not just enough to help us understand our need for the gospel, not just enough to save us, but also to help us understand how to live this new life in Christ. What does this new life actually look like? No Christian who has a Bible should wonder the answer to that question. No Christian who has a Bible should think to themselves, I don't know what this life's supposed to be. God's word tells us. Uh, Last week in this letter to the Colossians, we learned from Paul, really something quite fascinating. He said in verse 20, if you've died with Christ to the spirits of this world, then why do you still seek to live according to the world? A great reminder to follow Christ according to his word. Don't live according to man's standards. Don't live your life according to what man says, but what God's word says. That's how a Christian's supposed to live. And notice how similarly our passage begins tonight. If then you've been raised with Christ, another identifier for believers if you've died with Christ, now if, if you've been raised with Christ, this is how to live. This is what to focus on. And tonight, verses 1 to 4, I'm going to just call the principle. Verses 1 to 4 is the principle for your mind. 
I don't think I put the verses up there, but that's what it is. The principle for your mind, verses 1 to 4. What does Paul say? He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the earth. Paul says, watch where you're going. Paul says, keep focused on Christ. Believers, Christians are to seek things that are above, to set our minds on those things. What is that? What are these things that are above? Well, it's not material. It's not the stuff of heaven. Paul has something else in mind here, not the physical things, although those are certainly there. This is language that helps us understand and why Paul says it there in verse 1, that it's more about the object of heaven. It's more about Jesus than the geography, if that helps you understand it. This is us thinking more about the one who is there, the one at the center of that which is above. Heaven is amazing. Don't get me wrong. Heaven is a beautiful place, a place that we can't even imagine how beautiful and breathtaking it is, but it's that way because Jesus is there. Jesus is the one seated at the right hand of God. He's the one who's controlling and upholding the entire universe by his power. And Paul says, Christian, be focused on him. Be focused on Jesus. Set your mind on him, not his stuff, but his character, who he is. So why that instruction for a believer? Why? Why do we need to know that? Because the mind doesn't naturally do that. It's not our first instinct. It takes work and effort to renew the mind. It takes work to seek the things that are above. The mind needs renewed. It doesn't do this naturally. The default setting isn't to think of heaven's king. It's to think about this place here and now, the, the material, the stuff, the possessions, all that comes with it. Some of us, especially thinking about this age group, some of us constantly evaluating and sort of assessing our status, our popularity, our relationships, our appearance. How am I doing? Is it enough? Can I get more? Some of us have sort of different thoughts. Our minds want to think about entertainment or social media. Or we want to think about that next movie or the next show coming out. Some of us want to think about a game or a sport. Some of us even starting to think about the people who are sitting on the opposite side of this room. And if you know what I mean, you you understand that. If you don't, praise God, that's fine. Some of us are filling our minds with the things here and now. And those things are, are the things that keep us from watching where we're going. It's those things that Paul says are going to distract you and lead you into danger and lead you into disaster. The Christian's called to seek things that are above. Seeking is a never stopping, never quitting, never giving up effort. You keep on going. You keep seeking. It's not a one and done. It's a constant all out effort. Many of you can maybe relate to something that you've chased like that, something that you've wanted here and now. I don't know what that would be, making a team maybe, or trying to accomplish some new skill on a skateboard, or, or something that you're trying to do, and you give it great effort. You seek it. 
And even if you can think about that thing right now, you know the reward of achieving that thing or whatever it was, it's not really all that great. It was fleeting. The reward of of achieving that wasn't anything to compare with that which is above. The joy of that just didn't last. It doesn't satisfy like Christ can. It doesn't bring the same joy that Jesus does. So again, we have to be careful not to be distracted, to not set our minds on things here, but insist that our minds be on things above. This is the principle for the believer's mind. This is where our mind needs to go. And so many people, including Christians, are convinced that life is all about this stuff. And it happens. We get more consumed with happiness here. We find contentment here. We think that, you know, that stuff's going to increase with more money and more stuff. We sort of get wrapped up in the world. Paul's concern, though, is that, but it's also a little deeper. It's material, but there's more to it. The language that he uses, he's saying it's the mind that's consumed, not just with a job, but like having the best job. A mind that thinks, I want the most money. Not just to own a house, but I want the best house in the nicest neighborhood. It's a mind that's fixed on those things. The the best appearance, the most expensive whatever, the best you. You get it. Our minds without Christ are going to be dominated by those things. But Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, this is not the mindset for you any longer. You're to concentrate on things above. Set your mind there and keep it there. What you set your mind on will completely determine the direction of your life. What you think about affects what you seek. What you you fill your mind with will affect your pursuit of Christ. Where we look often affects where we go. It's true. All these stories and stats here about people that tend to drift in the direction that they're looking. It happens when you walk. It happens when you drive. It happens when you live. You tend to go where you're looking, where you're focused. Same is true for our spiritual life. What you focus on or fill your mind with, it will affect Your Christian life, it'll affect your pursuit of Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 6.20, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Mindset, it is a deliberate act of the will. You can choose to think about whatever you want. Thinking about Christ more, thinking about heaven more, thinking about who God is and who I am. It may be more difficult to think about those things. It's not always easy or fun or convenient, but we can choose to think about whatever we want. I understand that we have to think about other things like school and other interests that sort of demand our attention and focus. That's going to happen. But we can choose what we set our minds on. I can choose to think about certain things. I can choose not to think about other things. And I think Paul's point here is, Christian, you need to choose more to think about Christ. 
You need to choose more often to think about who he is, his promises more often than you do. Think about Christ more often than you do and his character. Think about his example. I can choose to think about him if I want to. In verse 3 to 4, really are kind of Paul's reason for this instruction, motivation, if you will. We should renew our minds because we know what God has done. We know what God will do. Verse 3, this reminder that we've died. The old self's no longer who we are. We're called to live a new life in him, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. We now have this life in Christ, and it's a life that's in him, and it's a life that is so full. That's what Paul's been hammering on throughout this letter already. Life in Christ, it brings fullness. You know everything you need to know to have this life. There's nothing else you need to know, and it's also a really satisfying life. His life brought life to us when we were dead in our sin. His life brought righteousness to our sort of sin-saturated existence. Jesus' life brings joy to what was only ever going to be a joyless life, a miserable life. And look at our future in verse 4. A day is coming when we will be with him in glory, when all will be revealed, when all will be made right. I can't help but think that all the things of this world that we think are so valuable and that we think are so important and all those things that we think, this is so worth my attention and my time. In that moment when we stand before Christ, those things won't mean anything. Not for a second will we wonder about those things. That's the principle here. We need to watch where we're going. We need to stay focused on that which is important and seek after the right things and fill our minds with the right, right truths. It's so helpful for believers to know what to do, and this is the principle. Number two, I'm going to call the particulars. The particulars. Paul does this a lot. He does this in other letters, too. He loves to kind of help us understand the big picture. Here's the point. Here's the big idea. Now, let me help you understand how to do that. Let me give you some clarification. Let me show you some some specifics here. You could say it this way. God's word teaches us that for the Christian, some things need to stop and some things need to start. For the believer in the Christian life, some things need to now go. Some things need to fill their place. And that's precisely what Paul does here. We're going to look at this first part tonight. Paul addresses really the things that need to go, the stuff that needs to stop. Here are some of the particulars, and I'm going to give you three. The first are sins of the mind from verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Paul says, put it to death. It's really strong language. Jesus spoke the same way in Matthew 5, verse 29. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better to lose, that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. 
Better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Obviously, Paul isn't suggesting that we kill ourselves. Jesus isn't encouraging like radical surgery here because it isn't really the eye or the hand that's the problem. That's not where sin comes from, is it? It's the heart. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 11, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out that defiles. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This is the problem. This is what defiles a person. It's not our hand. It's not our eye. It's the heart. And Paul says we need to put to death these evil practices, which we know stem from our heart. And this is quite the list here in verse 5. What is the old mind like? Well, it's one that first has an inclination towards impure thoughts and perverted desires and and lustful intentions. These are sins that are deeply rooted in our minds. I, I would say it this way. Without Christ, we don't have the right thoughts about the opposite gender. That's what Paul's saying. I think Paul goes here first to the mind because there's a reason behind it. Believers like to think that this isn't a problem. You may be tempted to think, I've got it under control. I'm not hurting anybody with my thoughts here. It's not that big a deal. And so often throughout scripture, when lists of sins are sort of addressed for the believer. These are often first, often at the top. I think it's that way because God desires us to get rid of it. And it's truthfully because it's the first place our old sinful mind wants to go. He talks about it the most because it's the first place we're tempted to sin. For many, it's not only the first but it's the biggest weakness, the mind, not controlling the mind. And this sin isn't partial. This kind of sin that's not thinking right about my sister in Christ or brother in Christ, this kind of sin, it it isn't partial. It doesn't care how old you are or young you are. It doesn't care where you go to church It doesn't care if you're a boy or a girl. In order to set our minds on Christ and where we're going, Paul says, first, you need to handle these sins of the mind. You need to put these to death. Death is a violent word. Pain, blood, tears. It's a serious word. This is the effort of what we're called to do. This cannot stay. This has to go. And Paul's trying to make it clear, whatever the cost, put it to death. This is so serious. And and what does Paul say here in verse five? These are, these are are the things that are so, our sinful mind just, they want to look at or things we're tempted to think about or stuff our mind wants to talk about. This is our imagination and it seeps out in the way that we speak. And Paul says, put it to death. And we have to do whatever it takes to stop thinking this way and talking this way. We have to get our emotions in check and put these 
desires to death. List here ends in coveting, covetousness, which Paul calls idolatry. This isn't just desire to have more than you do or more than you should have. This is about wanting something that belongs to someone else. It's, it's coveting of that which doesn't belong to you. Wanting what you can't have, wanting what you shouldn't have, wanting what is not yours to want. And it mixes right in with the same thing Paul's talking about. It's not thinking right about the opposite gender. And it's wanting things from the opposite gender that are not yours to want. What a list this is here in verse 5. And it's sad to me because it's the very stuff that our world, our culture loves to promote. It's the way that our world says, this is exactly how you should live. This is precisely the stuff you should fill your mind with. Our world promotes it and advertises it. It's commercialized. It's trumpeted from every corner and every rooftop. It's in every mall and on every TV. It's everywhere. It's all around us. If, if you're following Christ, here's what Paul's saying. You need to watch where you're going. You need to make sure your mind is fixed on the right things. First Peter 5, 8, Peter says, be sober minded, be watchful. Same language. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Your enemy knows how to defeat you. Your enemy knows where you're vulnerable. We can't ever think that these kinds of sins are no big deal. It's just a few bad thoughts. Who am I hurting? It's just a few second glances. It's just a little bit of this sin. It's no big deal, right? It's a huge deal. And that's why Paul says, kill it. Put it to death. Don't walk around in it. Don't walk next to it. Don't flirt with it even a little bit. Young Christian, God's word calls us out and tells us what to do with the sins of the mind. Are you putting the sins of the mind to death? And look, it's serious because this sin provokes the wrath of God. Look at verse six. On account of that stuff, the wrath of God is coming. This is, this is who you used to be without Christ. This is what your life, your mind was consumed with. This is what motivated you, what drove you. This is what dominated your mind. Verse seven says, these two you once walked when you were living in them. That's who you are without Christ, by the way. Without the gospel, this is you. Those words we just mentioned, this is what drives you. This is what defines you. But for the believer, Paul says, you've died with Christ. You can't live this way any longer. You can't think this way any longer. These sins of the mind have to be put to death. Two and three are going to kind of come together. Sins of the heart and sins of the tongue here. Verse eight and nine, they, they kind of come fast and furious. But now, Paul says, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk 
Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self. Verse 8, really a description of a growing inner anger and anger inside that's kind of swelling and surging all the time. All the time, these are these are attitude sins, anger and wrath and malice. I might help you to think about it as being sins of the heart. It's it's just how it's my emotions. It's my attitude towards people. These are expressions of that anger when I'm not keeping it in check, when I'm letting that sinful heart have its way and do whatever, whenever it wants. That's what he's talking about. That quick temper, that's the sins of the heart. That sharp word with no filter, that's the sins of the heart. You just let it fly. Malice there in verse eight, it's it's the intention or you could think desire to do evil. A vicious mindset. It, it plans evil. It rejoices when something horrible happens to an enemy. Stubbed your toe? <laughs> yes. It's that. It's worse. That's what Paul's talking about here. This is just hatred with no leash. This is the heart. The sins of the heart. The attitudes just kind of left un. Checked. They naturally lead there, but they also lead to sins of the mouth. This kind of evil speech here. Still in verse 8, Paul mentions slander. Words that intentionally try to destroy, tear down, wreck someone's life, someone's name, someone's reputation. It's, it's throwing grenades without care. It's obscene talk, Paul says, foul speech, abusive speech, words you would never say, words that do loads of damage, and then lying. (laughs) Deception, Paul says, don't lie to one another. Verse 9, no real specific direction here about lying, except that it's just towards one another. I think it's lying about ourselves, painting a better reality then is really true about me. It's, it's maybe lying about my godliness a little bit better than I actually am. Maybe it's lying about sin. It's not that big a deal. It's not as bad as it really is. God hates lying, Proverbs 6.16. He especially hates it when we lie to one another. God doesn't want deception. He doesn't want hypocrisy. He hates lying. If you don't believe me, you can read Acts 5 and see what happens when a couple people lie about selling some land. God hates lying. How do we seek the things above? How do we set our minds on Christ? How do we set our minds on our life to come? Paul says, put to death, put away sins of the mind, sins of the heart, and sins of the tongue sins of the mouth. This just isn't who we are anymore. Verse 10 says, we've put on the new self. It's being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. As a believer, you have a new life. You are a new creation. You have new abilities. You have new desires. And Paul's helping us understand it. That life is growing and growing and it's constantly renewing as you learn more about your savior, your creator. The more you learn about him, the more your life starts to look like him. 
The more you fill your mind with him, the less you live like that old you. I'll say it this way. The more we seek things above, the easier it is to put off the old way, the old mind, the old heart, the old mouth. And the result, verse 11, seems so strange. What is all this? Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian. What is all this? Paul's trying to help us see when we live this way, seeking Christ, dying to our old self, all the things that divide people now no longer matter. That's what he's talking about there. Jew and Greek is, is about race. And you've heard me talk about those two types of people. They did not like each other. Circumcised, uncircumcised is about religion. There's culture mentioned there. There's social status mentioned there. All the things that just make people find their own people groups. Paul says none of it matters. When you live this way, when we live as God calls us to, those normal divisions and divisive barriers, they're not an issue any longer. When we work hard to put to death the sins of our mind and our heart and our mouth, we can be unified can actually love each other. Jesus said in John 13, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for others. If you aren't watching where you're going, like in that video, things that you've seen in real life, obviously your eyes are fixed on something else. They, they must be. They're looking at something. Our eyes and our minds are to be fixed on things above. That's what Paul is saying. This is the principle. We're to fill our minds with Christ and his word. And if we don't, it's just another reminder, you guys, that this is the kind of stuff that's going to fill your life. Without Christ, this is the life you're signing up for. And it's way worse than falling into a pool or walking into an elevator door that's closing. That's embarrassing. But Paul's talking about something much worse. You're going to fall into sin that is much, much worse. Your life's just going to be dominated by these horrible sins of the mind, these constant evil attitudes of your heart. Your, your life's just going to be filled with this nonstop evil, and deceptive speech. A, a lingering world of deception. But with Christ, Paul says, we can, we can put those things to death. With Christ, we can put that stuff behind us. And he's saying, young Christian, you should. This is how to live. Don't be distracted. Don't let this world take your eyes from where you're going. Don't let this world pull your gaze from where you're headed. Watch where you're going. Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredibly helpful word tonight. I pray that you would help us to understand not only the principle, but also the way we actually are supposed to live seeking you. Help all of us who follow you to desire to live this way, to Fill our minds with you. Fill our minds with your truth. Father, I pray that you would help those students who resist your gospel.
to see their need for you, that they would see the, the foolishness of their life without you, the emptiness and the misery that comes from a life that's just enslaved to this kind of sin. Father, would you help us as we head to small group to apply this truth tonight, to think about what your word has for us for the days ahead, we pray in Christ's name, amen.